This is an ABC podcast. Hello, and welcome to Off Track, where we try to come to terms with nature and our place within it every single week. And this week, a special treat from regional New South Wales, where Rowdy Walden reports. And a little bit of a warning, there's some adult language in this episode. What's covered in hair has small features and stinks of piss. No, I'm not talking about me. Yama, I'm Rowdy Walden, and on this episode of Off Track, I'm taking you home. Back to the family farm in Narromine. It's about 30 kilometres west of Dubbo on Wiradjuri country. My folks have talked about packing up and moving into town for a few years now. But recently, something made that decision a lot easier. The World Health Organisation has declared the coronavirus a global pandemic. Ah, Sorry, not that one. That's That's the wrong file. Hold on. A mouse plague. The rodents are running rampant across the state's central west region. Yeah, a mice plague. <laughs> this is my family. No, you do it now. You'll be right. Chatting around the dining room table on our last Saturday night on the farm. My parents, Peter and Kerry, my sister Ashton, and my niece Wattle. My brother had other plans that night. Rude. We've got some takeaway dinner, and we're going to talk about the mice plague. The bait became very scarce and she couldn't buy traps. So the mouse traps became the toilet paper. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, uh, and if it sounds like we're sitting in an empty room, we are. My mum, Kerry, has had the house packed up for weeks at this point. All the furniture's been sold, the linen and the clothes are now in tightly sealed boxes, and the f***ing mice are everywhere. She's so keen to leave. They just overrun the house and the shed and rats were eating the mice. They've made nests in everything. They wee everywhere and poo everywhere. You could hear them in the walls, in the ceiling. I think we were catching heaps of them inside and then they just overrun the shed. They're just horrible. Definition of a mouse plague is when population densities reach more than 1,000 per hectare. This is Peter Banks. Known and loved as the rodent guy. They're fascinating. He's a professor of conservation biology at the University of Sydney with a long-standing interest in introduced mammals, particularly rodents. He's just the man to talk to about why my mum and a huge swathe of other Australians across four states have been overrun with mice. We still don't really know how they end up being able to go from almost completely absent in the environment to being a 1,000 mice per hectare or more, how do they get from that and increase to that point and then crash so quickly, even though people have been studying it for a long time? We still don't really have this really clear understanding of how that works. There's plagues across the country every year somewhere. Every particular sort of region or, or area might experience a plague once every seven years. But I think what's different here is been such a widespread area that's been affected. That's what's slightly different this year. 
people say that we have these mice plagues every, you know, however many years and it's due to good crops. But we've had good crops before and we haven't had a mouse plague that I can remember like this. And I've been out here 45 years. They reckon they're the sort of animal, though, that can hold off having their young until there's good food. They followed a drought too, don't forget. Yeah, that's what I read. I read that it's only boomed now because of the drought ended and that's how they all sort of... Like mice have some sort of like... A thing that they can do where they can, you know, not have children until they've got enough food. I guess they're probably a lot smarter than humans. And scientists are much smarter than me. Mice numbers remain really low for very long periods of time. They just trickle on in the background at really low numbers and then something triggers the population to erupt and it's thought that it's rainfall that does it. If you have good rains in two years in a row, there's a reasonable chance that you'll have a plague the next year because it's that back-to-back breeding. So you have good numbers in one year and the numbers will drop a little bit, but there'll be a good background base level of mouse numbers. And if the good rains happen again, then the population can take off. And in terms of the mechanisms of the mice in terms of what happens is that the females start to breed earlier and they also have slightly larger litter sizes and so that just means more babies being produced and those babies have babies 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 babies. and those babies of the babies have babies it's a lot of babies and that's how the population can really rapidly increase in size babies 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 They can breed like, I don't know how many babies they can have. They were saying over 12 weeks or... 21 21 days. um, That's my dad, Peter. um, A kitten can then breed and then another 21 days that kitten's first kitten will breed and they can have up to 10 pups. Turns out when a plague's on, everyone becomes an expert. But my dad's actually pretty on the money. It's not his first rodeo. Well, you know, they're small, they have a really short generation time, really. It is about 21 days from when they conceive to um, give birth. And then it can be a really short time to maturity as well. So those females that are born can themselves breed really not so long after that. And this means they're an eruptive species. There's a number of eruptive species around the world, and it's actually fascinated ecologists for 80 years really in the northern hemisphere um, there's populations of small mammals uh, like uh, mice or these things called voles they undergo uh, population eruptions as well they're also for periods of time they're very low density and then the populations boom they increase you know a thousand fold and then the populations crash What's a little bit different in those systems is that they cycle. So for these voles, that happens every four years. They go through these booms and then the population crashes and then four years later they boom again and then crash. And a number of species do that. Some larger species like snowshoe hares, they do that every 10 years. But in Australia, the eruptions of mice are not anywhere near as predictable, at least in, in terms of the periodicity in, in saying that, well, it's going to happen once every X number of years. They're a little bit more unpredictable. If there's food around, that's for a lot of these small mammals, that, that food will be turned into babies. <laughs> They'll try to turn it into babies. 
When was the last time that you had a mice play? Because this isn't the first time, is it? 2008, there was one. We had them inside the house. They were running around the bedrooms at night time in the light shades. They were bad. 2008? Yeah, 2008. Dad's very shy. (laughs) But what's the craziest story in town that you've heard? Because there's lots of wild videos going around. Um, Ashton's got a story to tell. Uh, it happened to my friend. She had put a story on Snapchat. Her partner had come home and unloaded the groceries and one of them was a loaf of bread. He had sat it in the cupboard. Um, he continued unloading groceries. So within that time, maybe two, three, four minutes of that bread being sat in the pantry, mice had chewed through the bottom of the bread bag and eaten the bread in the space of about him sitting it down, turning around, grabbing more groceries out and then going back into the pantry. They had already gotten into the bread. One girl that lives in town, she was bitten on the face multiple times, crawling in her bed. And I was sitting here one day eating breakfast and I seen something go, because I am petrified, I will scream. And I watch one in that room run up a curtain up a curtain and then I was sitting in the Dubbo airport waiting to go to Sydney and the lady screamed because one was there and they were just dead as you're coming into the terminal and they got a terrible smell attached to them with the, with the bait When I was walking around out the back there's a few dead mice out the back still that you haven't cleaned up How have you been catching them, Mum? Mainly with the baits because the traps wouldn't kill them and then all the homemade remedies, all the old-fashioned remedies, they were just eating it and not dying. It wasn't killing them. The bait that um, they're being baited with around here also has terrible effects on the animals that eat them. If you drive around Narromine at the moment, there's quite a lot of dead birds because the birds are eating the baits as well. It's like some epic Greek tragedy where colonisers bring plagues and pestilence and then in an effort to stop the problem they caused, they make an even bigger one. And a bigger one. And a bigger one. You know, every year they're like, okay, the more chemicals, more chemicals, more chemicals. And I don't necessarily see that it's actually stopping the plagues. Dr Maggie Watson is in the School of Agriculture, Environment and Veterinary Sciences at Charles Sturt University. There's essentially three kinds of chemicals that are used in plague situation. We've got first-generation anticoagulant rodenticides, second-generation anticoagulant rodenticides. What's really nice about these... Well, nice. <laughs> there was a, what's really effective about these two chemicals is it takes one or two feeds for it to work. It's really palatable. It doesn't make the animal feel like it's going to throw up or something like that. So it'll come back for several feeds. And then the animal goes away and bleeds to death somewhere else, usually within three days. Okay. So these first-generation anticoagulants are the ones that you might buy from a supermarket or a hardware store. They essentially make the blood of the mouse more and more runny until even the blood vessels can't contain it, and it bleeds to death internally. I mean, and it's not like you can blame anyone for putting out the baits. 
Do you think that a lot of people around town have lost their crops this year? Or like I've seen the, the videos on Facebook, there's that guy that got bit on the head and he had that old guy that had to go to hospital. But then there's that, is it an old guy who lives in a caravan and he lifts up the doona cover, then the mice just scatter? And they had shit all through everything. And to tell you the truth, I think he had to um, burn everything that was in the caravan. And then, um, yeah. What did you say, Ashton? There was that um, incredible footage of the farmer who turned his auger on for the grain and it was just dead mice coming down out of the auger, like rain. It's raining mice. It's, um, I don't know if you believe in religion, but it seemed like we had the plagues, we had the grasshoppers, we had the mice, we had COVID. Like, I don't want to get all biblical on you, but really. Hold on, we've got, hold on, we've got a phone call coming. Who is it? But putting out baits to stop the wrath of God has consequences that stretch further than an auger full of dead rodents. And in the case of the second generation ones, you run the risk of what we call secondary poisoning, something eating that mouse that you intended to kill and getting a dose of the poison itself. Like owls, for example. One study in WA a couple of years back found that a third of all bobok owls surveyed had dangerous to lethal levels of rodenticide. And it's not a quick death either. As the owl goes on eating mouse after mouse, accruing more and more of the poison, it becomes disorientated, perhaps even more likely to fly into buildings or cars, and if it escapes death in that way, it'll eventually start hemorrhaging. We are currently collecting information on birds that have been affected by the poisons that are out there. There's a whole group of researchers and myself and the Wildlife Disease Association that are getting livers out of birds that have been killed so that we can start to document uh, this secondary poisoning that's happening across Australia so that we, we know what we're doing to the environment. That's one more type of poison, right? So the other chemicals are the zinc phosphide. God. Please let this next one be less problematic. And that's the one that's, it's dangerous, but it gets used up really quickly. Australia needed to get a handle on this plague as fast as possible so that the new crops wouldn't just be destroyed as soon as they were put into the ground. And this particular chemical at the double strength had been under research by CSIRO and they were finding it in their trials very effective. And so anytime that you use a poison, there's always a risk. And the the risk in this one was deemed low enough that um, it was approved by the APVMA for use um, across Western New South Wales. Essentially, uh, they spray it on, on grain and when it is eaten, it goes into the stomach. And when that chemical touches the acid in the stomach, It causes a reaction and phosphine gas is produced. And that gas is kind of like a nerve agent. It's really poisonous and it just filters through the whole animal and then they die. It's it's dangerous, but it gets used up almost immediately. There's no residuals just lying around. Great. So potentially less secondary poisoning of wildlife. What we're seeing is poisoning 
oh. from the poisons that we're trying to use uh, against the mice. Oh. Some of the birds are eating that poison directly. Oh. So we're seeing this kind of primary death happening. Okay. Okay. Um. The issue that we're now dealing with are other chemicals that are in use, mostly things like bromodialone, um, which can be in, used around buildings, which has a essentially a 130 to 180 days where it's still active in the, in the system if it's not eaten. Those are the, the much more dangerous ones, those ones that you go to the local store and buy and put in your house or in the, in the barns or the sheds. Those are actually the more dangerous ones that, that potentially have more long-term impacts. The type of poison you put out to solve the plague issue may very well outlast the mouse issue in terms of its impact on the environment around you. And it's ironic, right, because Professor Peter Banks says that it's the farmers trying to be more environmentally conscious that might have led to these mouse plagues in the first place. Mice plague events are probably on the increase because actually farmers are using conservation farming practices as opposed to what they used to do in the past where the the ground would be tilled completely and they would take away all the remaining stubble. That would create a really hostile environment for mice. But the more modern practices are to leave a lot of the tillers um, in the ground because that conserves the soil moisture and a lot of the nutrients that are in the soil, but it also creates the right environment for mice. They feel safe in amongst the wheat stubble Uh, for example, and that allows them to access more food probably and that may well create better conditions for them to be able to respond to rainfall rapidly. So it's that weird thing where conservation farming is probably good for the soil and for the crop but it's also really good for mice and that might be related to why there's such a widespread plague. It is just the environment having a really big stamp on what this one species will do like the big rainfall that's produced the bumper wheat crop last year and may again this year has had this side effect of producing a bumper mouse (laughs) crop everyone talks about the ro of the covid you know the reproductive rate and what it's actually for covid the same thing is how we describe mouse population growth looking at what their their reproductive rate is during a plague period compared to the crash period. That's how we understand their dynamics. The the mechanics are the same. (laughs) Speaking of mechanics, what were you saying, Mum, about the roads? I was driving to Orange one morning early for a meeting and I was driving along following a car and I was like, oh, gee, that's a lot of leaves on on the road. And I was thinking, why aren't they moving though? They were dead mice. The amount of dead mice on the road... um, and the rats, it just bought the rats and then you'd find the half-eaten mice by the rats and... Mm, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever thought about a job in radio? Actually, I think I'd do quite well. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd go okay on radio. I think I'd have a bit of competition here with my granddaughter, though. Yeah, I do like mice. Who's going to be a Peter girl by the sound of it with the lovely fluffy mice? Peter or people for the ethical treatment of animals gained notoriety because the then acting Prime Minister, Michael McCormack, said this in the Australian Federal Parliament. There's nothing worse than having mice eat your grain. And then we have, of course, Peter. 
the uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals saying that the mice, the poor little curious creatures, should be rehomed. Well, I actually agree with Peter. They should be rehomed into their inner city apartment so that they can, so that they can nibble away at their food and their feet at night and scratch their children at night. This isn't a straight. Oh my gosh! Hold on. Um. Yeah. No. It's taken a, a large toll on a farmer's mental health. Politicians are taking advantage of farmers who are desperate for any solution whatsoever and not actually giving farmers what they want or need. There's methods that have been trialled by CSRO to, to deal with this planting decoy crops in a ring around a high quality crop with really low quality food in that in that decoy ring because the mice aren't going to you know wander a kilometer they're just going to wander 100 meters so if you have a 50 meter or a 100 meter ring around your crop they're not likely to cross in and go oh hey here's that really high quality wheat that will make us play keeping rocky outcrops intact so that the snakes and lizards that eat mice have places to live and, and breed, keeping areas that are full of old trees and hollows for birds of prey to live and breed. If you have these systems working and in place, then the chance of having a plague is greatly reduced. And when you can see that a plague is happening, that's when you use a very targeted poison, like a first-generation anticoagulant or uh, zinc phosphide, and you hit them before they can become plague. I mean, the point is moot to a large extent, for my family at least, because the farm sold. Oh, you want to say something, do you? Hello, my name is Wadawali. I'm free. That's Waddle. My niece. And no, I'm not just including her in this to melt some hearts. She does make some pretty good points. Kyle, I wasn't scared. You, you're not scared of the mice? Yes, I am just a little bit brave for mice. You're brave for mice, are you? Yes, I am. Do you know what the plague is? Um, no. Is there more mice than usual? Um, no. That's a lie. I just a lie. Because, you you know, there's lots of mice around. You're just being tricky to me. Yes, I am, because I'm silly funny. You're silly funny, are you? Why do you like mice? Because it makes me happy. The mice plague makes you happy? Yeah. I don't think the farmers would be very happy with you, though. I think the farmers want to kill them. Yeah, because they say, stop, farmer, because they are friends. No, oh, the mice are our friends, are they? Yeah, so we can't jump on them because they are friends. How many do you reckon Pop caught? Three. I think he caught more than three. Yeah. Because there's all these mice that have come out on the plague. What do we, you think? What do you think we should do with them? We we can cut them and first we can hold them and put them in our house be our pet. <gasps> you want all these mice from the plague to be your pet? Yep. Oh, my God. We can do that. You're going to have hundreds and thousands of mice as your pets. I just like them and they're so cute. 
They've moved into town now and there's no sign of mice in their new house. Yet. Oh, is that one there? What? Nah, I just made you all jump. <laughs> no, no, no. He doesn't like them. No. Well, this has been the most interesting Saturday night conversation at our house. Because I don't to take on mice because they're so rude, so so they always be our pet or always be our friend or always don't be cranky at them. I love how every time you've got something to say, you grab the mic, don't you, and you put it right in your face. You know how to work it, don't you? Yes. And she's not the only one. Gamilaroi man Rowdy Walden reporting from his hometown of Narramine in New South Wales. You've been listening to Off Track. I'm Ann Jones. And remember that we're going to be back at the same time next time. That's when I'll take you somewhere else. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.